First Baptist Alameda, there's a place for you here. Not now, not yet, but in some distant day, we'll be together again. Until then, this is the way we do it. It's a privilege and a pleasure to be with you, to be able to share in God's word. Today, I want to take a look at a passage in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, which talks about the resurrection hope that we experience and the impact that that makes in our lives. Really, what it means is we're going to keep the Easter party going because Christ is risen, and that fact gives meaning and direction to our lives. That's what Peter talks about as he opens up his letter. And some people think Paul is the great wordsmith of the New Testament. Peter is uh, uh, an able rival to Paul. Uh, really, verses 3 through 12 in 1 Peter chapter 1 are one sentence in the original Greek language. So imagine me as a second-year Greek student parsing this out and outlining 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12, and trying to make sense out of it. It's a complex passage because Peter brings together a number of beautiful themes that we see throughout the New Testament, and he pins them all on the resurrection hope that we have in Christ, which means that central and defining event in history is not only what gives meaning and purpose to our lives, but also direction. The resurrection of Christ and us being in him and living his resurrection life enables us to live in a Christ-like way in this world. It's good stuff. It's exciting. If you have a Bible, you can open it up. If not, I'm sure Jaden's going to put it on the screen for you. So just take a minute to look as I read. 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter's writing to the exiles of the dispersion. Basically like Peter's writing to us. The church that Peter addressed was located around the then known world. Because of persecution, the early church was spread. Now we're not being persecuted, but out of uh, abundance of caution and health considerations, we are self Quarantined, we are sheltered in place. We are socially distant from one another. We can't be together. I can't look out here into the pews and see you. You're not there. We're scattered. We're spread apart. And Peter knew that people in that type of a situation would benefit from the encouragement of seeing what comes to us as we live the resurrection hope of Christ. So Peter addresses himself to the exiles of the dispersion a.k.a. First Baptist Alameda. Beginning in verse 3, he starts with praise. Blessed be the God of our Father. God, <laughs> blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God. Now I'm going to read through it all the way. Are you ready for this? By his great mercy, he's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through the faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even if now for a little while, 
You've had to suffer various trials so that the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold that though perishable is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. <gasps> That's a mouthful. That's a lot of New Testament theology crammed into an itty-bitty paragraph. How do we make sense of that? What are the practical implications for our life? First, it's knowing that God in His mercy, God in His grace has given this to us. Man, we've been gifted. You think the stimulus check is something. What God has done for us, Paul said in the New Testament, no eye has seen, no mind conceived. The things that God has prepared for those who love Him. And God has given us a new birth into a living hope. When we talk about hope, we're absolutely talking about the future. We're talking about the things that are to come, like we're here now waiting for something good. But this hope is not a dead hope. It's not stale. It's not only focused on the future. This is a living hope. This is a hope that we possess right now. And this is a hope that has something to do with the way that we live our lives. That's the implication of all this. Is that this hope that we've been given through the resurrection has a way of guiding and directing our lives, our every step. That's what's great about this is it's practical. It's tangible. It's something that we can see and focus on. And this comes to us, according to verse 3, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's speaking about agency. That's how we come to experience the living hope through or by means of the resurrection of Jesus. So as we come to trust in him and foster a friendship with Jesus, we experience the same light and life and resurrection that he experienced. It's as if we're living our lives in Christ. We're supercharged. We're not living by our own intellect. We're not living by our own intuition or our gut sense of what we ought to be doing. We're higher powered. Jesus is living his life through us, his resurrection life. So our living hope is this new birth, this reboot or restart that begins as a consequence of our friendship with Christ. Peter described it further as an inheritance. Do you have any rich relatives? I have been searching for some. Uh, an inheritance is something that we'll get later on, right? An inheritance, Peter writes, that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, that's kept for you in heaven. This is promise language. 
This is the language of grace. This is the language of pardon and forgiveness, which reminds us that this future inheritance, this glory that's yet to be revealed for us, is not something that we have to earn. It's not something that we deserve as a consequence of our good lives. It's something that's given to us. And it's something eternal. It's something that's unfading, that doesn't perish or spoil or fade. It's waiting for us out there somewhere. Kept for us, Peter says, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's a language of preservation. Not only that our inheritance is preserved for us waiting our arrival, but that we're protected, that we're preserved, that we're kept in the storm. And that's the beautiful thing about this new life, this new birth, this living out the resurrection of Christ, is that it's not dependent on what's going on around us. Would you say amen? Isn't that some good news? It doesn't depend on what happens to us. Look what he says, verse 6, In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you've had to suffer various trials. Don't we love trials? Don't we love the tests that come to us? Don't we love the challenges that we face and experience? Not so much. But in them is an opportunity for growth. Peter refers to this. He says, so, so that, verse 7, so the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire, your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed the trials, man, the things that we experience in this life happen in order to make us into better people. You know this, right? You've heard it. It's not about what happens to you. It's about how you respond to what happens to you. And sometimes the obstacle that's in our way becomes the very way of growth as we find new and different creative ways to stretch ourselves and grow and persevere through adversity. This is plowed into the fabric of the New Testament. The Apostle James wrote before Peter, he said, Brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Maturity comes on the heels of adversity. And if you look around in your world and in your life, you will see those people who are spiritual giants, the redwoods that you look up to, those people have suffered. Those people have experienced adversity. And those people have used adversity as an opportunity to grow. New Testament's filled with it. Paul, the apostle, said in, uh, in Romans. Make yourself comfortable while I look here. Romans chapter 
8. Romans 8, 18, Paul said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed in us. So Paul put it together as a point of comparison. The things that we experience now, the suffering, challenges, the inconvenience, I got to wait in line a little extra at the grocery store. I've got this challenge. I'm bored. Help. I don't know what to do. We've got these challenges, but Paul says, man, those don't compare in the least to what awaits us. So that's what we need right now in a pinch, right, is to think about someday in heaven, after you die, after living a great long life, you're going to receive all this good stuff. But Paul continues in Verse 31 of Romans 8, he says, what do we say about these things? If God is for us, who's against us? And then he goes on to say, in verse 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Verse 37, no, in all these things, we're more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's, that's pretty comprehensive. Look, nothing that you experience in life can separate you from God's love. No challenge that you experience is too great for you to climb. With God on your side, look, who can be against you? Who can stop you? That means you're living right here, right now with resurrection power. You have the light and the life of Christ in you and the capacity to overcome adversity and to do amazing things in your life. I would love for you, I'd love for me to unlock the full potential to live out my birthright as a believer and to understand the freedom and the grace and the acceptance and the love that we have in Christ. We can climb any mountain. We can cross any sea. There's nothing that can stop us living out the life of Christ, certainly not trials. So this inheritance that we have, this living hope, this birthright, resurrection life of Christ, look, it's not dependent on the things of this life. It's not deterred by the challenges that we experience. It's got staying power to push us through any storm. not stopped by adversity. And it's also not dependent upon the things that we see, feel, touch, taste. Verse 80 says, Although you've not seen Him, Christ, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with an indescribable joy. Or you're receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's not dependent on sight. 
Although you've not seen him, Paul says you love him. And though you, even though you can't see him now, you're filled with this, with this hope, with this joy, because you know that it's real. This is a, a knowing in, in your gut, in the core of your being, not just in the intellect, not just in the emotion. But in the volition of who we are, we see this is faith. This is the faith life. And it doesn't depend on the things that we can see. The people of faith are those great seers who can look through the circumstances of the day and see what others fail to see. There's an entire chapter in the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 11 that chronicles the beauty of faith and it begins with this statement it's a great verse to memorize now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen hear it again faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen faith is not dependent on what's right here in front of us. Right now we're living this thing, right? We're in the midst of it. Years down the line, we're going to look back and we're going to have these memories. We're going to have this vivid recall of what life was like in those days. And I want you to remember that you stepped all the way up. That you used this adversity to your advantage. That's what people of faith do. They see obstacles not as dead ends, but as an opportunity to grow and to merge and to do something that they've never done before. That's biblical faith. That's New Testament faith. And it's combined with adversity in a way that the two can't exist without each other. Paul brings these together in the New Testament uh, letter to the Corinthians, 2nd Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, so we do not lose heart, even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day, a.k.a. the living hope, the resurrection life of Christ. Uh, verse 17, for this slight this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. The adversity that we experience is preparing us for glory. And he says, verse 18, because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what is seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. He makes the distinction between the here and the now and the later and the thereafter, and they don't depend on one another. Faith is the ability to see beyond sight what's going on, to know and understand and to be able to read the times and to see that God is intimately involved in the moment of struggle. So although we haven't seen him, we believe in him, love him, and we wait for him. How are we going to meet this moment? How are you going to meet this moment? How are you experiencing 
the adversity of shelter in place? How are you experiencing the greatest economic downturn that we've seen in our lifetimes? How are we experiencing the health crisis and the ripple effect and the implications that we'll be living with for weeks, months, and years into the future? How does this moment find you? What's God up to in your life? In these quiet moments, as our pace has slowed and softened, in these moments of reprieve, as you contemplate and think about your life, where you're going, what's God leading you toward? Where does adversity meet faith in your life? And how do you experience this hope, this joy, this resurrection life that Peter longs for the exiles to have? I want it for you as well. And I want for you to want it. Let's take some time. Join with me as we conclude in God, you are above and beyond and also in the midst of our daily lives, our struggle, our challenge. We see you, God, we look to you, we long for you to be near, to lead us, to direct our lives in new and different ways. God, let our hearts be soft and pliable. Let our spirit and our mind rest easy in grace and in hope. We lift ourselves to you. We lift our families. We lift our communities to you. God, we lift our nation and our world to your loving embrace. 